I've been thinking about this for the last little while. I say thinking about this. I've been pacing around my apartment, speaking out loud like a madman, talking about psychic energy. Very good. You should actually walk around Young and Dundas and do that same thing. Oh, hey there. Ahoy. Dias Mirowit. Yes, correct. Ha, got you all. You thought this was another Irish episode? No. No. We're just, we did that for no reason, mostly me. But Shah. This was a trick into bringing you back into the moment and getting your attention back onto one thing so that you are more likely to be able to enter a flow state while listening to this episode. I don't know about all that, but... <laughs> <laughs> so, last week, we got into a lot of it, or well, last episode, I should say. This one might come out a few months after the first one. We will see how they all pan out. But so last time we got into what flow is and the paradox of work and how you can try and get more of it in your workday. For the paradox of work, just to remind people what that is, that's um, people think that the less work they have, the happier they are. But that's from the data we've seen largely incorrect. That idea that they'll say they want less work, like you said, but that that is the easiest time when you're able to engage in flow or get into a flow state is at work, or that's when it happens more often than not for most people. And I think where I want to start out today is diving a little bit more into what flow is and trying to get more into why you'd want more of it. Because I think we kind of skipped over that a bit in the last one or took it almost as granted or as assumptioned. As an assumption? Yes, there you go. Perfect. That it was a good thing or that it's something that you want more in your life. And I think it would be worthwhile to dive more into that. I think that might also help get into like why that paradox of work is and why flow is such a good thing or something that you'd want more of. Yeah, definitely. Everyone should probably be familiar with it. But I guess just to paraphrase, it's kind of when you get so involved in an activity that like, you aren't really even thinking you're just kind of fully doing it and like the time's just speeding by without you taking notice of it like basically your mind empties except for your current task yeah exactly and there's one concept that i mentioned in the last episode but said that i didn't want to get into because i didn't think i could do it justice and that was the idea of psychic energy and psychic entropy wow that does sound like a lot <laughs> But I think it's worthwhile to get into because I think it really gives you a better understanding of what flow is or why it's so desirable. It's one hell of a term that whoever, wait, who came up with these terms you're explaining? Uh, Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi. Yeah, that's quite the, quite the term he's chosen there. Yeah, I know. I, I really wanted to keep things more actionable and on a more understandable level for everybody. But as I was reflecting more between episodes, I think that it's worthwhile to get a little bit more abstract and get a little bit more into the weeds um, before we get back to more actionable stuff. Like we said, talking about how to get more flow in leisure in this episode. Yeah. Okay. So, and these two terms are what again? Psychic energy and psychic entropy. Very good. I think it's worthwhile to start out with the entropy and we should actually probably define what entropy is just as a basic concept, because I don't know that everybody's taken physics classes who listens to the podcast. Chemistry. Is it not both? It's both. It's, chem it's both. Same thing. Physics is just very small chemistry. Y yes, that's actually, yes. 
Oh, okay. Wait. Now that now that now that I'm trying to define entropy, that kind of makes sense. Actually, that's interesting. I, I think I figured out what it is. I'll, can I guess? Yeah, go for it, please. I think what and the entropy entropy would refer to here is just how sort of who who was it? Aristotle or Socrates or one of those Greeks who talked about having a well ordered mind. I think that's what it would refer to: the amount of mental disorder, mental noise you have going on that sort of prevents you from focusing fully on your task. That is exactly it, yeah. So for everybody listening, entropy is essentially a measure of messiness or the inverse or like the opposite of order. So you can think about like if a room is more messy, it's got more stuff just randomly placed around it. That's a high amount of entropy, very messy. But if it's more ordered or if it's more clean, that's a low amount of entropy. And the same can be true about the mind. And if you want to try and get the like a room to be more clean, you have to exert some energy and some effort in order to fix up the messiness. That I would say that it, that perfectly encapsulates the sort of feeling having a, a, a when you know sometimes your mind just feels like jumbled, like everything's out of place. Or sometimes you just feel very clear. You don't really have any persisting, nagging sort of things floating around your brain. You're able to just focus on what you need to do. Yeah, exactly. So there's like states that you can be where it's very it feels messy. That can be like fear, anxiety, sadness, boredom, all kinds of like air quotes, I guess, negative emotions. Or neuroticisms, I guess. Yeah, actually, that would be a good way to describe it. Those are states that increase the amount of entropy in your mind or psychic entropy. So it increases the amount of messiness in your mind. I think as a caveat, this is just a way of sort of quantifying the experience. We're not saying there is some real... <laughs> psychic shit going on <laughs> like a, a, another worldly feel or something this is just describing a feeling that's a good point yeah i mean i've been thinking about this for the last little while i say thinking about this i've been pacing around my apartment speaking out loud like, like a madman talking about psychic energy but very good you should actually walk around young and dundas and do that same thing yeah that sounds about right this is very tangential and not really necessary to the point but i think there probably would be a physical equivalent to it right because your mind tries to use as little energy as possible. And it tries to like, when you're really focusing on something, it likes to like turn off other sections of the brain that it's not using in order to conserve energy and allow you to focus more. So I think you would have a physical equivalent to that messiness of like, maybe less of your brain is turned on. So you're able to focus better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's true. But uh, yeah, I, I should, like I should clarify that we yeah, are talking about real feelings or the real, real states of your brain not like some otherworldly force that binds the universe together or something. Yeah, yeah, that was one thing. I, I was tempted to start this whole section off by talking about like all those movies from a little while back who were based on the premise of human beings only use like 15% of your mind. But if you could only unlock 100% of the mind, you could unleash your telekinetic superpowers. The other 85, 90% does literally fuck all. You could scoop it out with a spoon and it would change your, it, would, it wouldn't change how you function in any way. It, it probably would. <laughs> no, that's like according to these movies. Oh, yeah, yeah. The rest of it does literally nothing. It's just, it's basically just like, uh, it's just like fat. No, no, in the movies, it, that's your unlocked potential. That's where your telekinetic abilities are. That's just been locked or hidden from you for some reason. But yeah, so, I mean, the interesting there is you, you actually want the exact opposite or how it works. If you really want to do something well and focus on something, you want the exact opposite. 
You want your mind to be able to conserve energy and not waste it on unrelated parts of the brain or things that you don't need right now. So getting back to the more psychology level of things, because uh, I think I've got a slightly better grasp on that. Essentially, there are states in which your mind has more entropy, so there's more messiness, and there are states where there's less entropy. So if you're feeling really happy or strong or alert in some way, or just focused, really, that's a more ordered state. Vibes are good. Exactly. Yes, the vibes are excellent. And one of the real distinctions there is just like in a room, if you want to make it clean, you have to exert effort to make it more orderly and clean. Yeah, put all your shit away. You have to exert effort in order to, I don't know if contain or control your like anxiety or fear or any of those emotions is the right way to put it. But in order to just continuing, continue to like manage throughout the day. Yeah, master yourself. Exactly. So you just need to have this low level amount of energy that you're exerting on managing these feelings. I would say one example of that is whenever I am on a good sleep schedule, my mind always feels more ordered. And that doesn't necessarily just mean getting enough sleep because I very, it's very rare that I'll get on without like at least seven hours sleep. But when I, I'm, what I mean by good sleep schedule is asleep before midnight up before let's say 8.30. So I always feel much more clear and sort of organized mentally when I do that. And the the small amount of effort that would have to be put in there is make a concerted effort starting at like 11 or 11.30 to be like, all right, time for bed. Stop, I don't know, watching this show, reading this book, you know, whatever I'm doing and go to bed. And then that, that results in a, in a more uh, organized brain. Yeah. So there's both like that physical energy that you can put in or there's like more tangible physical things that you can do that he doesn't really get into like we touched on last week so much the like exercise and sleep side of things yeah just i guess the discipline you can exert then there's also the same thing going on more like mental and like with mental discipline like just having to manage feelings of anxiety while you're trying to like get a task done or feelings of sadness or just any kind of distraction just weighs on you and distracts you and having to manage all those things and juggle all those things is just a real stressful feeling. And so the opposite of that, when you're able to totally focus, which is really the core of the definition of flow, is what we find is the best experience of life. Yeah, I guess it would result in feeling the most fulfilled. Yeah, exactly. You're able to be just totally focused on the moment and you're able to really push yourself in some way to do or achieve something. And uh, it also has to do with the difficulty of the task you're doing versus your skill level. I think we covered in the in the one episode on it. And it's usually if they're if it's slightly more difficult than your skill level. I think. Yeah, I think to get into a flow state, you probably want it to be about the same, maybe slightly higher. That was actually another thing that I wanted to clarify was that we mentioned that it was kind of like ultra learning in the episode, but I don't think that's quite right. Because ultra learning, he actually specifically says this in the ultra learning book, so I should have mentioned this, was that that I think happens more so in the anxiety quadrant or section really? of the graph. Yeah. <laughs> Why does he recommend it then? Because, or his goal with ultra learning is to learn something either as fast or as deeply as possible. And in order to learn something, you really want to push yourself outside of your comfort zone and outside of your abilities and, you know, only go so far. Uh, you don't need to just like really throw yourself in, in the deep end. Yeah. 
destroy your well your well-being learning iris but like for a short like period of time doing these specific things to really push yourself and what he was saying in the ultra learning book was that you go really past the flow state because you're just pushing yourself that far out of your comfort zone that it is more anxiety provoking but the whole point is that this is a really structured activity and like it'll end eventually you're not doing this with literally everything in your life living life on hard mode (laughs) (laughs) so when you're trying to max out one of your character skills then that could be uh existing in the anxiety area can be good but when we're trying to maximize for enjoyment of life that is not the area that you want to be at least not always probably not most of the time no there's something that um chicksentmihaly talks about in flow too he had like an offline where he said uh, something along the lines of, you know, when you're learning something new, like a new sport, say, at first you're really shit at it. And basically doing anything in it is at least mildly in the anxiety quadrant because your skill is just so low that you're terrible at it. And you just have to kind of push through and put in enough effort that it starts to get good and that it starts to actually feel nice to play. I, I, can, I can definitely see that with trying new sports because the beginning, like, you can't even put in full effort because you don't know the rules. But then when you know what you actually have to do, then you can go about doing it. Which segues us nicely into flow in leisure, which I think is going to be the main idea for today. And I think that's a big part of the issue a lot of people have with trying to use their leisure, which we should actually probably resummarize again really quickly. Wait, summarize leisure? Now, summarize the statistics we mentioned about people's engagement in work and leisure. Oh, yeah. So, in the studies that Csikszentmihalyi did, he found that on average, I think in leisure, about 18% of people's time was spent in flow, so where they're actually engaged, whereas 52% of their time, so a majority of their time was spent in apathy versus work, where they found that 54% of their time was spent in flow. And 16% was spent in apathy. So it was almost flipped. Yeah, that's quite interesting. I was going to say, I think that what we were just talking about, that idea of needing to invest energy in it, is definitely a part of that, that reason. Because it, it takes energy to start to get good at something to the point where you're actually able to enjoy it. But to get there, you have to push through that anxiety. And especially when you have a culture that says, you know, your leisure time is supposed to be relaxing it shouldn't feel bad you know you should be totally just off laying around eating cheetos off your pot belly exactly yeah then trying to do something in your leisure time where you have to actually put in work seems just wrong and it does kind of suck in the for a little bit when you're learning things or putting in that effort but that's how you get to more engaging Uh, something that sort of reminds me of that is uh one one leisure activity where I would say I, I sort of experienced flow would be probably playing piano or guitar. I, I've got maybe like on each instrument, maybe like 20 songs, 10 to 20 songs I've got memorized that I'll just play fully. Like I don't really need to think about it. I can just fully play it and enjoy, enjoy, enjoy like enjoy the way it sounds and enjoy like playing it and stuff. But learning those songs took probably about a week apiece of practicing and messing up and needing to constantly look at the music and and that part i would say it does not feel like leisure at all but once you've learned it and can play it then it feels very nice and relaxing yeah summarize i think that summarizes it really well that's a good example and also 
last week, I ended off by saying that there was some quote that I was going to find. And I found it about leisure, which was, The future, wrote C.K. Brightbill, will belong not only to the educated man, but to the man who is educated to use his leisure wisely. Oh, very good. Which was essentially getting at, I think, the importance of just using that time well and not wanting to be in apathy the majority of the time. But yeah, I think we've touched on like the major reason why why it's hard or why people don't experience that much flow in their leisure time. And that is unfortunate because that can turn time off into some of the worst time. Or time that just like you basically just throw away. Like it can be just throw away almost neutral or it can be actively negative. Like one term that keeps coming up when I look into this stuff is the Sunday neurosis, which is apparently a depression that usually comes on Sunday mornings because traditionally or what used to happen would be that everybody would get together on Sunday mornings for church or some kind of ceremonies or whatnot. But since less people go to church now, they would just instead be sitting around by themselves because there's no plans on like a Sunday morning that they've got going on. So they have to, are forced to confront essentially the meaninglessness of life every Sunday morning and it just sends them into this depression. I'm immune. I still go to church. Oh, what a nerd. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I know, right? I need to level up my cleric stuff. That's just a fun example. But then the same thing also happens on vacations. And we always hear about people who retire, who get really depressed or are just like bored out of their minds because like they have nothing to do. I haven't heard of a vacation. What are people doing on vacation that they get so bored they contemplate the meaning of life? The meaning of life bit was a throwaway line that I added in there. You don't have to actively be contemplating the meaninglessness of life, but... I don't think I've ever <laughs> been, like, on a vacation, like, wow, I'm so bored. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe that is yet to come. Although I, I, haven't, I haven't ever done, you know, you go to a resort and just kind of lay around for, like, a week or two and just get all your shit, like, catered to you. I've never done that. Usually for a vacation, I just, like, go to a city or, like, usually a country I've never been to before and just, like, hey, what's this all about? So it's kind of an activity in itself. Just, like, if there isn't anything planned, I'll just be like, hey, that interesting religious building over there, I'll go see what that is. Yeah, that is very cool. I can see how you wouldn't get bored then. And I also haven't, like, taken a vacation by myself, I don't think, yet. Oh, no, I haven't taken one by myself, but just all the ones I've taken like that yeah i just meant that like when you're with other people too i think that helps a lot with the avoiding that really depression or anxiety that can come with being alone so anyways we were talking about leisure yeah so it can be really hard to get much out of it or to really get a true like enjoyment or fulfillment out of it because that same idea of like having to be good at a sport or an instrument before you can enjoy it is true with be able to enjoy leisure just in general or to be able to enjoy time alone in general as well. That takes a certain amount of skill. Like just mental sort of focus maybe. Yeah, exactly. Like our minds didn't evolve to be just on our own without any real obstacles or dangers or things for long periods of time. So our minds sort of evolved to keep us occupied. Yeah, to just be constantly dealing with things. So we're not sure how to react to just if you don't have anything to do, or if you're just supposed to be like, oh, I'm supposed to just sit here or relax. Because yeah, I guess the way humans lived for the majority of our history of existing was like, either you're sleeping or you're awake. If you're awake, you're hunting. 
or avoiding being hunted or gathering food or eating food or pooing or reproducing. <laughs> That's pretty much it. <laughs> and maybe some of those at once. Yeah. And when you're not doing any of those things, there's something called the default mode network. It's essentially the sections of your mind that become active when you're not doing anything. And those are essentially all about ruminating on issues in your past and your relationship all of the all of the anxieties and depressions like when you find yourself just thinking about that embarrassing moment from 10 years ago that's probably a function of just the default mode network kicking in after or because you have nothing else going on oh that's quite interesting i've never heard of that concept yeah so there's that tendency of the mind to just when it's not thinking about something else it'll just start thinking about usually something to do with like your relationships so like unless you're able to really find some way to focus your mind or really train yourself to enjoy solitude or leisure time while you're there's a tendency to slide towards more anxiety or depression type things if uh, anybody any listeners are getting confused in the floor above me there is a chimpanzee banging on a on a piano keyboard <laughs> oh there yep <laughs> um so just so you know if wondering what that is the joys of recording from home not that we've ever done it any other way yeah in the old office but yeah so the the default network that's quite interesting i've never uh never heard of that before yeah yeah it's an interesting concept the idea that like there are certain areas of the brain that just turn on when you're not doing anything it's kind of like how let's say you uh are trying to think of some actor who's like oh what's his name like oh i can't freaking remember his name or even yesterday i was trying to think of um one of the sons players maybe it was like timothy Stutzler or something but uh, I couldn't think of his name. And then like two hours later, when it had completely left my mind, I thought, I was just like, oh, yeah, it was Thomas Shabbat. I was like, Thomas Shabbat. Yeah, yeah, that's actually probably related. Back burner of your brain. That is a very useful thing for working out issues. So essentially, what we want to avoid here is a life where work is meaningless because you feel forced to do it. And leisure is meaningless because you don't really have any purpose for it and you're just sitting around. That sounds awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's the dream. Goals. Not having any purpose in your existence. (laughs) Yeah, nihilism. Wow, love it. Like, but that's like purposeful nihilism. Like you could have a purpose, but you just avoid it. You're like, you choose not to have any purpose at all. And to do nothing. <laughs> it's a choice. Yeah. <laughs> the wrong choice. <laughs> it's a choice. To quote Ryan Holiday, nihilism is for losers, but, you know, it's a choice. That's the most Chad quote I've ever heard in my life. Who's this dude? Ryan Holiday, he has a lot of books on stoicism. That's actually incredible. I, I, like, I, before that moment, I thought I wouldn't get any tattoos, but I'll tat that, like, across my whole back nihilism is for losers yeah but you know it's a choice oh that's actually amazing i know i love ryan holiday just the way he writes is fantastic like you get the the tone of all of his writing just from that sentence really really cool it's run by ryan holiday i want to actually look it up yeah it was something that he wrote in courage is calling which he released i think a few weeks ago it's a book on one of the four cardinal virtues, so courage. Oh, what are the four cardinal virtues? They are courage, wisdom... Affection? Love? 
it's something like love, but it's not love. Uh, oh, justice is one of them. And temperance, I think, is the fourth one. So wisdom, justice, temperance, and... Courage. Courage. That's quite cool. Yeah, love is actually a very good way, I think, of understanding their idea of justice. Oh. I think that's probably a better word to describe it, because it's essentially treating everyone you interact with justly. That's not the theme I got from Death Note. Haven't seen it, but sure, okay. You should. I know, I've heard it's very good. Is that also one of the, like, 2,000 episode long animes? No, 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 it was like 30. Oh, okay, maybe I will then. Anyways... Anyway, anyway, anyway. That's a whole other topic, actually, that would be interesting to get into. Watching Death Note. Less so that, I was thinking more so any of Ryan Holiday's books, because he has really good writings on stoicism, like translating a lot of the stuff for more modern readers. Not literally translating, but updating the ideas. Yeah, we should, we should do that, actually. What tangent were we on? We were talking about leisure, and I think let's actually get into some more concrete stuff, because... When trying to get more flow in your leisure time, you can do basically anything. Like you can find flow, it seems, from almost any activity that you do. All that you need is essentially the ability to focus on the thing. So literally any of your senses can do it, be it moving. So with sports, yoga, martial arts, dancing, be it with tasting something, either like eating or cooking, with like hearing or playing music, going and looking at cities or nature or art. (laughs) <laughs> smelling cocaine <laughs> just really loving cocaine that's also a sort of flow well actually didn't the, didn't the flow guy say that drug use kind of is a flow I'm gonna say no with an asterisk or like negative flow or something uh, oh yeah junk flow was the term junk flow yeah yeah so if you get back the idea of one of the goals of flow is to be able to grow in some way. Uh, how he describes it when he's also talking about like psychic entropy and all that things is that flow expands your consciousness in some, in some way or makes it more complex because you're able to push yourself and grow in some way, very ultra learning-esque or maybe ultra learning light. You get something out of it. You grow as a person. Yeah, just inherent in pushing yourself in to do this thing you are able to learn something or improve in some way. So while that is consciousness expanding drugs are unless they are done in like some kind of like therapy session or in like a cultural ritual those can be very expanding otherwise they're just like consciousness reordering or reorganizing kind of just numbing yourself yeah exactly it is just a way to deal with that depression and anxiety we talked about in the sunday neurosis and most most people wouldn't say they've grown their character or grown as a person from sniffing cocaine off a key in a bathroom i don't think so no (laughs) (laughs) the polls are still incoming (laughs) you know from my experience it's a mixed bag but (laughs) some people really gain you know gain fulfilling truths and skills out of like the skill to snort a lot of cocaine <laughs> this might all have to be cut out <laughs> <laughs> we'll see we'll see yeah. but yeah you can get flow from a lot of different activities like it can be large things or more intense things like trying to learn a new instrument or song or a new sport 
or it can be fairly small things. Like I mentioned, eating, like there's so many opportunities, even just in during a meal, like you could learn more about the history of the dish that allows you to just enjoy it and focus on it more. You can try something you've never tried before. You're like, that's a weird looking vegetable at the grocery store. I'm going to buy that. Yep. Just maybe prepare it in different ways or with different spices, different ingredients, all that jazz. Like you could try and figure out what the best drink is to pair with the meal and experiment with different things. I, I think a good way to think about it might, or at least that part might be just like following curiosity because being curious is really inherent in being in the moment in a lot of ways. You're just interested in a thing and just pushing more on it. Or like if you're going for a walk, you can figure out like what's the most efficient way to get there. What is the route where I can see the most cool architecture? Can I name all the architects? One thing I do a lot on walks is one, just where is the nicest place with the, the most nature? Like just sort of try to find that by just walking around, not by Googling it or anything, just by walking around. But also, if you see an unfamiliar tree, find out what kind of tree it is. You're like, okay, oak, maple, 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 oak, walnut, apple. What is this? (laughs) Very cool. Yeah, that is an excellent way to do it. So one thing he mentioned is walking the most efficient way possible or moving your body in the most efficient way possible, which I don't know how to do that. I don't know if you understand that comment. That sounds like some weird Jedi shit. But that's besides the point. But essentially it is, yeah, just, you know, if you want to try and like, try a new recipe or find a new route to walk on or anything like that. Like that does take some effort up front, but it allows you to be more present to understand your surroundings a little bit more. Okay. Yeah. That's quite interesting. Yeah. So that is the body and flow. He calls that chapter. And yeah, there's just so much that you can do to enter flow. It seems like, like there's infinite possibilities here. You just have to get a little creative or start doing it. It's, it sort of sounds like it relates to the concept of mindfulness, where that's also just like being focused and invested in everything you're doing. Yeah, it is extremely similar to mindfulness. I believe there's a distinction in the very like technical abstract level of things. Yeah, but both of them, both of them just sort of, sort of go to, you know, be fully, like pay attention to ev- wherever you're at in life and try to make every moment sort of as best lived as possible 100 percent, yeah like i think the difference is something along the lines of like expanding consciousness versus transcending consciousness but on the level of what you actually do it is pretty much the exact same but yeah so that is or getting finding flow in the senses but you can also find flow through the mind and it's like mental processes or learning summarizes it pretty well and there was a really interesting section that he had in here because he talked about how you can find flow through things like writing or studying history or science or philosophy. And he had this great section on being an amateur that I thought was so good that I wanted to read out. But yeah, he wrote, there are two words whose meanings reflect our somewhat warped attitudes, attitudes towards levels of commitment to physical or mental activities. These are the terms amateur and, and dilettante. Nowadays, these labels are slightly derogatory. We use the word dilettante. Never heard that in my life. Yeah, I feel like it might have been popular earlier, decades or centuries ago. Yeah. Maybe among more academic types who like big words. Maybe. But essentially, an amateur or a dilettante is someone not quite up to par, a person not to be taken very seriously, one whose performance falls short of professional standards. But originally, amateur from the Latin verb amar, to love, 
referred to a person who loved what he was doing. Similarly, a dilettante from the Latin delectare, to find delight in, was someone who enjoyed a given activity. The earliest meanings of these words therefore drew attention to experiences rather than accomplishments. They described the subjective rewards individuals gained from doing things instead of focusing on how well they were achieving. Nothing illustrates our, as clearly our changing attitudes towards the value of experience as the fate of these two words. There was a time when it was admirable to be an amateur poet or a dilettante scientist because it meant that the quality of life could be improved by engaging in such activities. But increasingly, the emphasis has been to value behavior over subjective states. What is admired is success, achievements, achievement, the quality of performance, rather than the quality of experience. Consequently, it has become embarrassing to be called a dilettante, even though to be a dilettante is to achieve what counts most, the enjoyment one's actions provide. Well, that's quite something. Yeah, I would, I would agree. It is sort of that, I don't know, I don't know what went on in the past. I don't, I don't necessarily agree with that, but, you know, doing something purely because you love it is more admirable than doing it because you're good at it or have, can get lots of money from it or something. Another like little quote he has here was that not so long ago, it was acceptable to be an amateur poet or essayist. Nowadays, if one does not make some money, however pitifully little out of writing, it's considered to be a waste of time. Right, it's taken as downright shameful for a man past twenty to indulge in versification unless he receives a check to show for it. This is the coming to the defense of all the SoundCloud rappers. Exactly. Yeah. You know what? It actually is. Yeah. It actually is. Do it because I mean I don't know if that's why a lot of them are doing it, but for the ones who do it purely for the love of the craft, there you are. Yeah, hundred percent. More power to you for doing that. And and this is also, this kind of reminds me of when all these athletes are like, I would still play for free. I think that's kind of cap, but that essentially gets to the bottom of it. Like, just sort of recognizing that it's admirable to do something for the love of the craft instead of because you're getting paid lots of money. And I love that idea who talks about how it used to be something that was actually admirable to, you know, write poems or essays or things like that in your free time, because that's just what people of culture did or what people did to enjoy themselves. They thought that by doing that, they could improve their lives. Which is probably true. You're using your brain. Yeah, exactly. And it didn't matter if they didn't become, you know, famous or rich because of it. They didn't really achieve anything through it other than their, like, internal state or internal feelings. So I think that's kind of the takeaway here. You should do all these things, especially from, from like, just all the sort of things we talked about, like, in sort of, in terms of productivity and stuff. Like, you know, sort of more for the love of the craft. Obviously, you have to support yourself and your family and, like, stay alive and stuff. But, like, with your leisure, with what you sort of choose to do instead of what you have to do, you should do it to get the best experience out of life, not necessarily just to, you know, excel best at school or whatever work you've chosen. Yeah, definitely. Like, you always want to find a way to start to love or find delight in the things that you're doing, really no matter what it is, but especially in your free time. Well, that's quite a good way to end that off. Yeah, yeah, it's quite cool. So yeah, and he talks about things like studying history or science or philosophy, like how that's where science originated was people just in their leisure time doing experiments. Yeah, a lot of the OG biologists, for instance, were just monks. Like Gregor Mendel was just some monk who's like, hey, why are plants like this? (laughs) How come a black-haired man and a ginger woman don't have a brown-haired son or something, you know? Like, why is that? Or do they? And it was literally just because he was, like, curious. And because they, 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 I think, I think described it more as, like, 
trying to understand the intricacies of God's creation, but it's essentially the same thing. Yeah, and even though like like you're probably not going to become some famous or successful scientist from wondering or trying to figure out why people's hair colors are the what they are, it can still enrich your life to figure it out. Do it for your own self. Yeah, so then that is finding flow in the mind. And again, that can be a lot of different things from wordplay or memory. It was actually kind of interesting. He really liked or thought more people should memorize things, which was an interesting take because generally you hear people say, no, memorizing's nonsense. We have the internet. Yeah, or even books. Yeah, exactly. But it seemed like his big point was that when you're the one choosing what to memorize, so it's not just some teacher saying, hey, kid, you have to memorize this. That sucks. But when you're choosing the things to memorize, that can really help you with spending time alone because now you've got all these things in your head that you can like run through or think about. And it also just makes you a more interesting conversationalist as well when you have all these like quotes and references and things inside your head. Reference. Nihilism is for losers. 100%. Yep. Important quotes like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Actually, that, that's a pretty interesting conversation starter. Hey, do you know anyone at this party? Nihilism is for losers. That's a strong conversation starter. I like it. One um, interesting example of that. What was it? I think it was in the, maybe it was the Gulag Archipelago. It might have been a different book, but essentially in some of the Soviet Gulags, I remember they'd have these essentially translation contests among the prisoners where they'd like take some great like classical piece of work, probably some Dovskoyevsky. I think I butchered that. Dovskoyevsky? 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 Dostoevsky. Dostoevsky. I'm tripping myself up here. But anyways, you all know what I'm trying to say. Probably something like that. Well, they were actually like separated from each other. So they had to like do it in this almost Morse code that they came up with of like tapping on walls. And they would essentially have these competitions where from memory they would translate great pieces of work. And that really helped them to stay sane throughout their time in the gulags. Translate into what language? I remember it being translations for some reason, or trying to translate some stuff. Maybe they spoke like Tuvan or something, Kazakh. Oh, well, actually, a lot of their Russian elite spoke French. Oh, so that might do it, yeah. But yeah, essentially that they would recite those to each other off of memory and having those like some great works in their mind just really helped them to essentially just keep their minds together when they were imprisoned over the nonsense of the Soviet Union. I don't know if that's as uh, applicable in our everyday life, but... Yeah, so it's not going to be as extreme, but if we like walk it back a bit, you know, it's still interesting when you have a moment alone, be it like in transit or waiting in line or something, and you have something to think about. Or like we said, you ha- you're in a conversation and you're able to just like bring things up. Yeah, it's just an interesting take that that took me by surprise when I read it. The like, hey, you should memorize things just for fun. It's like, okay, interesting. I, I would say, memor- especially memorizing songs and music to play or sing, I guess. But I enjoy it. <laughs> okay. And we also teased the idea of the steps in, of meaning in life. Yeah. To run through this really quickly. Don't be a loser. Have a meaning in life. Yeah, that's essentially it. Yeah. So there was one nice little quote that he had actually from the Buddhists that seems to summarize really the mindset that you want to have that I thought was really cool, which was act always as if the future of the universe depended on what you did 
while laughing at yourself for thinking that whatever you do makes any difference, which isn't really related to the stages of meaning in life that he has, but I thought is just a good little life life thing. Yeah, that's difficult, not going to lie. It is. Yeah, that's just one of those fun Buddhist paradoxes, I think. Yeah, one of, yeah, one, uh, yeah, I know those. I'm, I have a name for they're called, but I know what you're talking about. But essentially, the stages of finding meaning in life is one, to find an overarching purpose for your life. Step one. <laughs> Two. <laughs> yeah, step one to finding meaning. Find a meaning. Step, step one to finding meaning. Find a purpose. Yeah, find a purpose for your life. And then step two is to dedicate yourself or stage Uh two, I should probably say, (laughs) is to dedicate yourself to said goal. Essentially do it, yeah. And then stage three is to achieve inner harmony. Wow. All right. We've talked about flow being this like focus and like not being distracted by other things. So then you kind of like try and line up your life with said goal and have it be more like of a flow activity that all kind of ladders up to that. Can you skip to step three? I don't think so because you'd need a purpose in order to be able to like have that harmony in life. Uh, yeah. He did also lay out a little bit like the steps to finding a purpose, which was largely trial and error, but it was kind of interesting. You start out finding essentially what you do individually well and who you are as a person. And then you try and like get to be part of groups and you figure out how to be part of those groups. And then you go back to focusing on your individuality and like how you're different from those groups that you've joined and those kind of communities you're part of and developing your own unique skills. And then the final or fourth stage is then lining up your unique skills with the group's big goals and figuring out how you can you really uniquely contribute to the group. That's a good way of laying out the individualist and group mentality and like sort of putting them together. Yeah, it was interesting. And it's cool to see it like flip back and forth. It's like first you figure out yourself and then you figure out what groups you want to be a part of and how you actually be part of them and then how you're different and then how you're the same again. That's quite good. Okay. Well, that was easy. Yeah, there you go. That's flow. Just a few hours later, or at least the quick notes on it as a concept. So everybody's homework. Step one, find an overarching purpose (laughs) to your life. Yeah, that, that takes a while to figure out. What I will say is the book was quite good and I would recommend it. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't say it's impossible, honestly. To find a purpose in life? I don't know. What's your purpose in life? Well, I haven't found it yet, but I'll be there. We'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. But yeah, would recommend the book. Actually, I think I might even recommend his, his last book a little bit more, which was on the same topic, but is more modern and I think approachable and shorter, which was finding flow as opposed to just flow. Yeah, definitely like shorter and less details in it than the other one, but it's a lot more approachable, I think, and less technical and academic at a lot of times. So yeah, that's just a quick recommendation. It's very cool. There's definitely a lot more uh, in there, like skimmed over a lot of the things and just tried to cover the highlights. But to, to just summarize everything, flow is essentially a total engagement in the moment, in the current activity, such that you're totally losing track of time and self and that's really nice because then you don't have to deal with all of the psychic entropy and whatnot that often comes in life and one of the biggest opportunities to get more flow in your life is in your work life because that's where you spend like half your conscious hours so even if you know society thinks that (laughs) says that you should hate work try and 
find more opportunities for growth and for flow in your because that can make your life a lot better off. And also in your leisure, there's a lot of opportunities to find more flow there. It takes some more effort because leisure time is by its very nature, not structured, not as structured as work. So it takes more effort, but there's still a lot of opportunities there. And if you want to find meaning in life, find a purpose and dedicate yourself and organize your life like a flow activity. And there you go. Speaking of which, after this, I'm going to enter into a flow state and write a biology report. Oh, excellent. That'll be very good. One thing that helps entering a flow state actually is uh, listening to the Doom soundtrack. Yeah, I hope everybody can use these things to sort of make their life more worth living, <laughs> frankly. Especially, like, especially find, finding something fulfilling they can do in their leisure. That's such a huge thing to not spend all of your time on really passive or numbing things. You know, there's a, a time and a place for just shutting off and watching TV or reading so like a really trashy book. That can be a lot of fun, but you don't want to spend too much of your time in that and whatever you consider too much of your time. You, you don't want that to be your default. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, so everyone, go get out there and flow. Get out there and ride those flow waves.